Hey everyone, it's me. Welcome back to this week's episode of my Best Vintage Life podcast. I'm here alone for a few minutes doing a separate recording before we go into our interview with Rafi. Just doing our normal little hello and deets. If you need to get in touch with us about any questions you may have, whether it be the podcast, suggestions, concerns, um, or if you have questions about wholesale vintage purchasing, please reach out to us via admin, A-D-M-I-N, at mybestvintagelifepodcast.com. That's admin at mybestvintagelifepodcast.com. You can find us on social media, Instagram. Um, I don't know if I'm still shadow banned or not, but what's really helpful is if you love what we do on Instagram and you want to keep seeing our notifications, the algorithm is just a total bitch right now. And I know a lot of you feel the same way. Um, and this goes with any accounts that you really love and want to see. If you go to our account page, there's a little bell up at the top. That's just going to give you a notification and it's not a crazy notification or anything like that. It just lets you know, hey, my Best Vintage Life podcast has posted something new. So if you like what you see and you don't mind doing that, that would be great. Our website is www.mybestvintagelifepodcast.com. You can sign up for our Vintage for Business newsletter. That goes out about the 4th, 5th, 6th of every month. So if you're listening to this and it's still September 2nd, 3rd, you have a chance to sign up for the newsletter. It'll go out early um, next week. And that is always free. It's something that's really great for vintage resellers, but also can be great for uh, vintage enthusiasts as well. So there is a little... Um, place where you can enter your email address and you'll get the emails and I don't really do any kind of spam I I hardly ever send out an extra email so something else that's exciting is right now our old uh, retail math class from my best vintage life academy is available on the website which is super exciting and I'm going to be uploading individual classes on there so if you go to the website mybestvintagelifepodcast.com and you go to the shop section you can access um, the, it'll say, I think it says like online vintage classes. So you can find the retail math class through there and you'll find other classes there as well. So very excited about that. Haven't gotten any wholesale pieces up yet. My priority has been getting the classes up because a lot of you have been asking about them, but there will be wholesale pieces up there soon. Sorry, I did not silence my phone. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. If you love the podcast and you can't monetarily support via our Patreon program, you can leave a rating, which is just stars or a review. Reviews are a tremendous help in getting us out there. Podcasts, the Apple Podcast app has an algorithm as well. So the more people are liking you, which would be like a star rating or commenting, which would be like a review, the better. So um, if you could do that, if you're on an Apple operating system, and if not, you can also leave a rating or review through Podchaser, which is a really great way for anyone on any platform to support the podcast. So to all of you who have taken the time to do that, I really appreciate it. And if you haven't done it yet, it literally just takes a few minutes of your time and I am eternally grateful. My obsession at the moment um, is my ceramic pink poodle I got from my friend Jenny. If you are interested in vintage home goods, um, she is originally from Sweden and living in Fresno. Um, It's at Swede Finds, Swede Finds, and she's on Etsy as well, and she ships. So um, if you're interested in any of her pieces, check it out. But I bought this beautiful ceramic pink poodle from her. I got a ton of name suggestions. Honestly, I couldn't settle on one, so I'm still thinking Um, There were a few I liked more than the others, so we'll see. TBD, I'm sorry if you were looking forward to the name unveil. I just, I can't pick one yet. 
And um, this week we don't have any new patrons, which is fine. Uh, we do appreciate all the patrons that we have, and obviously there's never any pressure to support the podcast monetarily. However, if you choose to do so, these are your options. You can support us at the $5 level, gets you a shout out on the show, business and or personal, a burning question for art, and uh, two bonus episodes a month, which is fun. And we also have a $20 level. I eliminated the $2 one. And nobody seemed interested in that. So $5 is the lowest level. $20, uh, that level's not going to be around much longer. That will become obsolete in November, which I've already reached out to the people at that level and the people on the wait list. 30 minutes just isn't enough time for these calls, these mentor calls. I had my first one-hour call this week, and it was just perfect. It was the perfect amount of time. So we're going to have a $5 level, a $50 level, and a $100 level. The $50 level, there's um, four spots available right now, as of right now. Um, you get all the bells and whistles of the $5 level, but instead of the old 30-minute call, you're getting one hour with me once a month, and it's it's a lot of fun, and I'm seeing a lot of progress with my mentees. So I'm I'm. it's not really about the money for me. It's about helping you guys. So very excited for that. And then at the suggestion of one of my mentees, um, she said, I'd like a more expensive level. I said, okay. Um, I wasn't expecting that. So we're doing a $100 level all the bells and whistles of the $50 level, plus you're getting a free audit every month by me of your website and or selling platform. So whether you're on Etsy, eBay, or you have your own website, whatever it may be, your Instagram, I will do an audit of pricing, photography, copy, um, you know, the copywriting. So that's very exciting. So you're getting everything from the $5 level, the one hour of the $50 level, and then you're getting one audit a month. And you're also getting our retail math mini class for free. Very cool. Excited for that. Thank you so much for all your support. I'm going to shut up now and get right into the meat of it. Here we go. Our interview with the other half of Baz Brothers, the one, the only, Rafi Bazarkanian. Thanks, friends. Hey guys, it's me, and I'm back with this week's episode of My Best Vintage Life. With me is my co-host. Hi guys, it's Art. It's Art. And Art, would you like to introduce our special guest? Yes, this is the other half of Baz Brothers. My brother Rafi is joining us today, so it's pretty exciting. It took two years to get him to come on and block some time for us since he's so busy in L.A. Say hi, Rafi. Hi guys, hope everyone is well, and uh, I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. All right, Rafi, I have um, kind of an intro question for you. Maybe if you wouldn't mind telling everyone, what did you do before you got into vintage? We know Art's story, but we don't know yours. So what is your story? <laughs> don't make anything it's so up. <laughs> so it's just your average story. I went to college to become a teacher. I've always wanted to be a history teacher and coach football and maybe track and halfway through um, finishing up my credentials art and I got into the used world I don't want to say clothing right <laughs> in the beginning it was definitely just used items oh and the listeners know <laughs> that art's definitely told them about all the different ventures so no not really well <laughs> I tried to keep it nice well, but, to summer to summarize yeah. um you got into the used business, not clothing at first. Correct. 
Correct. Okay. So I wanted to ask you guys a question that I don't think I've ever asked, but at any point in time at the start of Baz Brothers, did either one of you try to stop the other one? Was there a moment where any, either one of you were like, this is not a good idea? Was there any hesitation? Go ahead, Art. Yeah. Uh, Roth, <laughs> a couple times, tried to stop us. That was during the used portion. So you got to remember, Baz Brothers started when we were like little kids. Yeah. Because we've always worked together. We did baseball cards together. We did blow pops. Sandwiches, at right? Sandwiches. <laughs> We did a lot of things, but when you say Baz Brothers is today with the okay. vintage clothing. Yes, with the vintage clothing. Yeah. So I would say it was 1996. I remember it because Roth had a Montero. We went to the Salvation Army auction and in Pasadena, and we were just buying a bunch of used stuff, used books, and we bought like cages of things, and we filled up his Montero and it got to the point where there wasn't room for this bike. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, the trophy bike. The trophy bike. So we had to tie it to the bumper, the front bumper on the, what do you call that, front area? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, I, I, I'm i done. <laughs> I don't think this is it for us. What's this a trophy bike? A nice bike? Or was that the brand? No, it looked like a trophy oh. on the front of the car. Like, you know, the hood oh. ornament? <laughs> tied it on there. Yeah, like a hood ornament. It was definitely not a trophy. No. I thought, maybe, I thought, maybe, oh, I thought maybe I was missing something. No, no, no. It was just the fact that you remember the, in the cars, 50s cars had yeah. those hood ornaments. No. So that's what it ended up. He's when, like. When you go deer hunting, yeah. usually they call it the trophy is on the front bumper. That's basically what we did. We tied that thing like a uh, poor deer. It was so embarrassing. Okay, it so was it was a little bit of a spatial issue, some lack of space. Yeah, it's like, hey, man, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, there's been a lot of times where we've looked at each other like, what are we doing? And it's great to have someone who's honest, like Roth, who... Uh, at that time... I was still getting my credential, and I think you were still in chiropractic school. So yeah. it wasn't like we were ready to do this full-time. It was just something we were doing part-time. But I was like, maybe we should do something else part-time. Yeah. Because this is a little bit rough. I mean, selling those books and driving around the city to sell used yeah, lots books. Lots of schlep. Lots of schlep. Yeah. We've never been afraid of schlep. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, what but, would – oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so – yeah, but once the business, once we were on track with clothing, we've never really stopped and said, okay, we, this isn't good for us, or this is unhealthy for our relationship, or this isn't good for our families. We've always like been supportive. Usually when one's up, the other one's down, mm -hmm. or it brings the other one up. Or We've always believed in each other, and we knew that working hard was going to make a difference, and that's what we did, and we just kept pushing and pushing each other, and you know, one thing led to another, the deals got bigger. And um, we started enjoying it more and more. Yeah, that's true. Okay. What would you say your biggest first hurdle was to get over? Wouldn't you say, for, like, my opinion, I think it was finding our own place, right? Like, after... Uh, far, I would say before even that, I would say the biggest hurdle was probably more on a personal level, I think, for both of us. You know, we both uh, went to college, we both were getting our degrees, and we both had to convince our wives 
that we were going to let go of that mm-hmm. and try something completely different. So first we had to get our spouses to believe in ourselves. Yeah, so it worked out and, good and for Rob. Push through and, and <laughs> not you know, so good for It wasn't you. an easy thing, but no. it was something that I think was really the first hurdle. That's true. I didn't even look at it that yeah, that's way. That's a but. really, it's a really interesting perspective. I think so many people focus on the business part of it, but yeah, I mean, going from a doctor day, to sell used you know, clothes. Art's my partner, but I also have a partner in life, and that person has to be comfortable with what I'm choosing to do for the rest of my life. Well, I mean, I can re- I can relate to that because you guys know I don't have a fashion degree. I was a teacher too, and I know there was definitely some people looked at me like, "Are you sure you want to quit teaching to do fashion?" So I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Oh, we had family members laugh at us. What yeah. do you guys sell dirty clothes at the swap meet? Didn't you guys go to college? Didn't you go to college so you don't have to do that? Right. I'm like, kiss my ass, you know. Don't yeah. worry about me. Okay. I pay the bills. Well, that's a very unique perspective. Um, pre-social media, obviously that wasn't even, there's barely, was there even email back then? I don't even know. There, oh, uh, we've got stories about that. the same email that I still have now. <laughs> the the same, yeah, we still use AOL. <laughs> I mean. Well, okay, my question is pre-social media, how did you guys put yourself out there? How did you, I mean, I know you guys have never really truly marketed, but how did you get the name out there and your, your business out there to the public? Go ahead, Ralph. I've answered it a few times, but I'll chime in after I mean, you. In, in my opinion, as far as that goes, we're pretty old school. So basically word of mouth in mm-hmm. each transaction, each business dealing, we're basically telling people who we are and what we believe in. And over the years, you get people to trust you and you build relationships that we've kept throughout those years. So for me, that's still the best way to build a business is through personal relationships with the client. And I think that's one thing that we've both been very strong at. Yeah, I agree. Being the good guys, huh? There's a lot of snakes fair. in the business. The good guys, that's fair. Being the straight guys. Being the straight yeah, guys. Yeah, not a fair. snake. Being fair. Being fair. It's like, yeah. But thing is, even when someone buys from us or we buy from someone, I want to keep buying from them. I want to keep selling to them. Yeah, I don't want any transaction to be a one-time thing because then it's, Really not a good situation. We're not going to be successful unless our customer is successful. Exactly. And that's the way we look at it. Okay. Um, I know you guys have a lot of experiences with outdoor markets, whether they're flea markets. I mean, basically, I don't think the word pop-up was really around back then. But what are your best tips for any kind of like pop-up success, flea market, Rose Bowl, whatever it may be? Do you guys have any specific tips? Yeah. Uh, Do you mean selling or buying? selling as a seller because we have a lot of vintage resellers listening to the podcast you know i think the energy you bring to your booth is critical and one thing me and roth were really good at is creating an environment where everybody was welcome Mm -hmm. it was a fun environment it was a it wasn't never pretentious it wasn't like oh my god please don't touch our stuff it was like welcome come on in we'd have music (laughs) oh yeah spin the wheel (laughs) you remember that do you want to elaborate on that rafi (laughs) We always came up with ways just to get people to interact with us. And we made this makeshift like wheel of fortune type device. <laughs> and it was, you know, like 5%, 10%. Oh, you know, discount. You bust out your best dance move for 10% off. Yeah. You know, That's just fun. kept it fun and light. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people would, 
whether they wanted to buy something, they definitely wanted to spin that they, wheel. Yeah, they wanted to spin that wheel at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. We and, would bring a ping pong table oh, yeah. out sometimes. I mean, we've you always know, had fun. You know what? I think that ping pong table pissed off so many dealers. They're like, how the hell can you guys have six spaces, no workers, you guys set up everything, and you're playing ping pong, and you're still selling, and you're having a great time? Well, let's. Let's think about, because a lot of people that are setting up don't have quite as large of a space. So are there any tips you could recommend that aren't like necessarily? I would, I would say this, like before you even go to set up at a market, go to the market as a, a buyer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And go to throughout the entire market and, and try to pick a location where you feel that your items are going to be the strongest. Like have a neighbor, ask the neighbor or whoever's selling there, like, Hey, do you usually set up here and see what kind of things they sell? Try to do a little more research before you go and just set up. Do you remember? Make a big difference. Hey, Ralph, do you remember how how long did we buy at the Rose Bowl before we sold at the Rose Bowl? I would say at least two to three years. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you had a lot of pre-experience. Well, pre-experience before selling. Well, because we were yeah. we were mostly buying. Uh, for specific customers then and clients mm-hmm. and we were selling a lot of Jordans and Nikes overseas to Hong Kong. It was the early days of eBay. Yeah. Right. Early days of eBay. Okay. So that's 97, 98. Um, any other tips you can offer? Yeah. Um, Cause I have a lot of people that are signed up for like fall markets and stuff like that. You know, me and, me and Roth have mixed uh, opinions on, like, what do you think about pricing your stuff or should you not have price tags? What do you think about that, Roth? I would, I would, let's go back a little bit. Like, I'm dealing with a lot of people right now that I'm learning a lot from what they're doing at the Rose Bowl and some of these other markets. And they're creating, like, a little personal space where it's almost like this little curated mm-hmm. space that kind of tells the personality and the vibe of the seller. When I and I sold, we were looking at it as more of a wholesale opportunity, and it was all about volume. Yeah. Yeah. Now people are like putting rugs in their booths. I think that's changed quite a bit. And now it's about how you are curating, and how are your you know Instagram followers are finding you, and it's, it's kind of a different world. It's more of a niche market, and you're building your community based on what you want to sell and bring to that space. Yeah. We had a very much a shotgun approach and now it's become more more like dialed in, scoped in and the we were we weren't our goal wasn't to try to sell as much as possible at the Rose Bowl, it was to try to find the bigger buyers, the bigger mm-hmm. customers that we could bring back to our place and make them regular customers. And if if they saw what we did and how we did it and what our pricing was like when we had, we could get them that way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because we, it's a, it's we a lot didn't. different now. I mean, you didn't have a platform to like display your personality to people beforehand. People were kind of coming into the market blind, you know? Yeah. And then meeting. It's yeah. crazy to think that some of our clients that we still have today, we've met out there. Right. And they're still with us. Well, that's, I think that's a good, um, you know, a good example of building a relationship, especially for the listeners to hear. Yeah, so. old school style. Yep. Um, anything else you want to add to that? Roth? Yeah, just go out and have fun and, and don't expect to hit home runs your first few times out. You know, it, it does take time and persistence. Yeah. And as you build that small community, you're going to see that 
every month you're going to see similar faces that are coming in kind of appreciating what you do and you just build on that and before you know it you're going to have a vibrant business that's so true i've got one young kid who has a lot of people and he's so happy that he has repeat customers that specifically go and look for him at fairfax and you know so you know it makes him feel good like he's curating properly he's getting compliments hey we love your booth you know well, when I tell what I tell the people that I'm mentoring right now is that it might not necessarily be a huge financial success every time, but you're gaining knowledge every time it's a learning experience and there's things you can take away from it. It's whether it's good things, bad things, and that in and of itself has value. That's the true value. Yeah. You know, it can't always be about sales because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, that's transient and goes yeah. away. You'll have ups and downs, but if you're taking something away from it, and even like some of our better buying days were days where it was bad selling days. There are opportunities. Right. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, what keeps you guys going on hard days? Each other, working for each other, a family, uh, definitely our faith. And just knowing that, you know, our father busted his butt in his whole life. Even when he was a lot older, he would he did swap meets in Las Vegas for a while into his 60s. 110. 110 degree. And then there'd be days and nights. I, I kid you not, I did not want to go to the wake up. We'd look at each other like, hey, man, is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth it? Yeah. And, and we'd look at each other like, you know, dad's going to be getting up in an hour and doing a swap meet in Vegas. Come on, let's go. Yeah. So it's just, you know, that internal drive. Anything you want to add to that, Rafi? family. You know, every time we do something, we're doing it for our families and for each other. And knowing that he's got my back means the world to me. And I definitely don't want to let him down. You know, that's why I try to keep that warehouse full as much as possible. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you could just see her face. <laughs> Are Was there ever a moment when either one of you ever wanted to walk away? No, not for me. Not for me. You know, I think if we, I love art, but if we lived in the same city and we were in the same warehouse day in and day out, there would be, there would be a giant square, which would probably be like either a boxing ring or a wrestling mat. Yeah. And we'd be going at it every day. Oh, we we argued quite a bit when in the early days of the business, I had a different approach and he had a different approach. His strong suits were my weaknesses and my strong suits were his weaknesses. So what would happen in the early days, I'd go down to LA for seven days out of every month, seven to eight days meeting with clients. And I would try to clean up the small warehouse, organize it. Then as soon as I would leave, it would just get cluttered again because- Bam. Bam, yeah, (laughs) you remember that. And then I would be a comeback, I'm gonna kill you, man. What's going on? You never do anything I tell you. And it's like, you don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> it's like, because you got to remember, we, that's when he had three young kids. So that time he had to go pick up the kids, take them to school. So you're limited on your hours. So when you're done with your clients, you basically have five to 10 minutes to get in a car and head out so you can get the kids. So you didn't have that downtime to put stuff away. And the next morning you're starting up at it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can either make sales or I could keep a really clean place. Yeah. And, you know. At the time, we needed sales. We needed sales. Yeah. That's what your brother always says when I get on him. He says he has to pick and choose his battles. So. Yeah. You do. That's that's everything. 
That's why I just keep my house organized and turn a blind eye here. Yeah, well, look at this yeah. office. It's pristine. <laughs> it well, is a sanctuary. You got to remember in the beginning, I would say the first probably 15 years, Art and I were the only workers at Bowser Brothers. Well, I know I tell people that because people are like, well, your warehouse is messy. I'm like, yeah, well, Art worked alone for a long time. So I don't know what you want one person so to do. <laughs> we did a little of everything. Yeah. But many Buying, hats. The selling, the cleaning, the paperwork, yeah. you name it. But that's how we were able to build our business. Less you know, overhead. And investing back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Where do you, either one of you, see the vintage and or secondhand industry in five years? What do you think will happen? Do you see major changes? Do you think it'll stay the same? What do you predict? Go ahead, Ruff. I think we're almost at a perfect storm. When Art and I first started this endeavor, we really had to explain to people what vintage clothes were. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've come such a long way from that. It's, it's mind boggling. But in the next five years, I feel like we're probably gonna even double, if not triple, what the market cap is for vintage clothing and reproduction and repurposing. It, it's taking off all over the world. And I think it's a really good place to be. So a lot of people that feel like, oh, I've come in it a little bit on the back end. I, I don't think that's true. I think now's a perfect time to jump in and really get things going. I think it's uh, gonna surprise a lot of people how mainstream vintage clothing will become. Don't be surprised if you see it in, you know, Macy's, Oh, it already has been. Yeah. Sacks. Yeah, pa- apparently the stores are going to start seeing more and more of vintage styles. I agree. So it's, it's a good time. It's a really good time to be in this business. Hey, Ralph. It's exciting. Do you, uh, do you remember when we first started? The, the, the older guys were like, What are you doing? Oh, this business is sucks. It's already over. Don't do it. Oh, no, you're wasting your time. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, of course. They they told us, oh, this this business is over already because they got so used to making that easy money, buying five dollar jeans, selling them for five hundred to thousand mm-hmm. dollars, the two dollar shoes for a thousand. Yeah, it was easy, but we never see. We, in a way, we were lucky because we never got jaded. We like we bought something for five, we sold it for ten. You bought something for twenty, you sold it for thirty, and we just built it on the volume. We didn't get those. Occasionally you would get a home run, but we were just, you know, bunting and taking those walks and hit by pitches, whatever to get on base in a sense. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the baseball metaphors, but, you know, it was the easiest way to describe that. We didn't get that easy, quick hitters like these old timers got. And a lot of them, you know, went out of the business pretty early. Right. So. Rafi, how, how are you doing on where you are in terms of your service? Are you going to lose service soon or no? I just wanted to check. I think I'm good right now. I might lose you for maybe a few seconds in 15 minutes. Okay. Minutes. Well, we're at 21 minutes. So I just, you know, I wanted to see how far out that, that one area you mentioned was. Um, that, yeah, I think we're pretty good. Those That was it for my question. So I didn't know if you guys, just to like close up, if you wanted to tell a few memorable stories or anything you want to add personal notes. No, I've got a question for him. Okay. Now that the business has 
evolved and we don't get to go out as much in the field and or do like the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl was the culmination of like a week of appointments at the warehouse. And so it was kind of like that fun day where we got to have fun and also sell, meet new people. Um, what do you miss? Do you miss the Rose Bowl or do you miss going to the South? Honestly, I mean, where I am in LA, I still do see a lot of people. So as far as seeing people, I do get that, but I do miss the road trips because those road trips could have been hours of laughing where we couldn't even breathe. And we always got into situations that most people wouldn't believe. And that to me was the best. Yeah. Do you remember the, the cowboy in Alabama where you almost fell through his uh, trailer? <laughs> yeah, with all the boots that he so, had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so we Roth Roth had like you gotta remember, he lived My in lives. he lived in, <laughs> yeah. He lived in Philadelphia while his wife went to Wharton. And so he would pick there and he would ship everything back to me when I lived in LA. Right. And then he moved to Atlanta. Right. When she had an in uh what was it? Amgen? She did a, a one-year market research, um, a sales rotation, actually. A sales rotation, time, right? Yeah. So he was in Atlanta. But Atlanta proper, you know, has its things, but it was the outskirts that were fun. And I would go on buying trips with him. Well, there was this one year. Uh, do you remember when Dukes of Hazard, Britney Spears, and those boots and the flower boots, butterfly boots? Jessica Simpson. Jessica Simpson. Yeah. yeah it was one of those girls. And that was pop. And we, we needed thousands and thousands of them. So we flew there and we got a van and we just went around the South buying these things. And anybody we asked and we would go on these adventures to people. I know someone who's got some boots and we go there and you go and we're thinking it's a, a store or storage and it's a guy's closet. We're like, what? <laughs> so this guy. Oh man. Remember how he was talking to the his dog. Do the the dog. dog was amazing. The dog was Remember unbelievable. The dog? Yeah. Red dog. It was like full sentences to this dog, and then the dog would do whatever you said. Yeah, he's like, dog, these are my friends. I like you to go over there and watch the goats so the goats don't get out. And, he, and he'd go and sit, and he would look at the goats. That's so sweet. Yeah, he was such a nice guy. Oh, we'd meet people at the at the different flea markets. Mm -hmm. uh, even at the, remember all the savers we went into? Yeah. So we literally shipped back almost 2,000 pairs of boots. In what five days? If that, yeah. Wow, that was crazy. Yeah, I missed those road trips. Yeah, that's when you almost got attacked by those goats. Oh, remember when that one guy that we had catfish with oh. and his little <laughs> fire bomb almost blew up in my face? Yeah, <laughs> this guy was burning his trash. Rafa standing next to a trash pile. He doesn't realize all the stuff he's throwing in paint cans. Oh, uh, no. Spray, what do you call those? Like aerosol? Aerosol spray cans. Oh, God. And this freaking thing explodes and goes flying like a rocket. Say, don't yeah. put near heat yeah. and flame. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he, and he was bragging about this catfish that just basically tore, tore our stomachs apart. It was like a po' boy? <laughs> or uh, no? <laughs> me said <pama>. Puma. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, good times. Good times. 
Hopefully there was a restroom nearby. No. <laughs> Outhouse. No. No. Boots. Boots. I'm kidding. Well, that was the Tennessee River right back there. I would, I'd love to go on a trip with you guys. I think that would be fun. <laughs> nah. No? No, it's been done. <laughs> That's mean. Ralph, uh, do you think she could handle it? I think so, for uh, sure. All right, do you think she could have handled St. Louis? St. Louis was kind of rough. Yeah. The hoarding? Did you ever tell them the no. St. Louis story? No. Never? Never. You did a little wow. bit. No, that was Kansas City. Oh, this... I, I confused them. Okay. All right. Go let ahead. me tell you about St. Louis. So we have a mutual person in this industry calls me up one day and says, there's somebody selling 1,000-pound bales of vintage out of St. Louis. And they're claiming to have a million pounds. So I get on literally the next flight and fly out to St. Louis. I go to this place and I've never seen anything like it. Somebody that was in the vintage business had accumulated literally a million pounds and organized it in different categories. It was unbelievable. Wow, organized. So this building was a 700,000 square foot building and one of the floors, which was 100,000 square feet, housed all these clothes. I turn a corner, and the first bale I see are Daisy Duke shorts, but all of them are Biggie and single stitch Levi's. The entire Daisy bale. Dukes! Daisy Dukes, Rafi! <laughs> Dukes of Hazard, Daisy Dukes. Yeah. And this was, I would say, probably at that time, Definitely our biggest buy that we were going to do, but also potentially the biggest fight that we were going to get into. Mm. Because Art wasn't there with me. Now he had to rely on his baby brother to tell him, like, this is something we got to do. Yeah. Logistically, it was a nightmare. I'm sure. And money-wise, it was a stretch. But somehow, you know, he had faith in what I was doing, and, and we made the deal happen. And I think to this day, it's probably the one thing that took us to that next level. Yeah. Do you remember those? We brought uh, back, I want to say, probably 300,000 pounds of the million pounds. And, uh, I mean, bales of 646s, bales of military. Bales of wool, uh, peacoats, all 10 button. Unbelievable. Uh, the vintage was on. Oh, all and the painter pants. Do you remember all the painter pants and overalls? Painter pants. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, Art and I, through blessings, no other way to describe it, we always fall into things at the right time. Mm -hmm. The reason why this stuff was bailed at the time when this person was in the vintage business, everything had to be number one condition. Clean, no and stains, no holes. This person didn't want to throw these away because they were still vintage, but he didn't have a market for it. So I found out later through the landlord, they just left it there. And then to recoup some of the money, the people that owned the building sold it to us. But at that time, it was the first year people started to even look or even understand the value of distressed vintage mm -hmm. jeans. And what year was so this? It was a 2003, time. 2004. Okay. Okay. 
What do you think and happened to the rest bales of it? And bales of unbelievable denim. Yeah, do you remember the the what we ended up selling those shorts? They ended up going to yeah. Pink, yeah. Victoria's Secret Pink. Yeah. Our friend who was at Abercrombie <laughs> became the head at Pink, and that was our first big, huge order for a company. Yeah, and I remember the first time you told me that I thought you were talking about the artist Pink, <laughs> in the singer-songwriter. <laughs> and I was, I was like, wow, she bought a lot of shorts. <laughs> I didn't no. realize you were talking about Victoria's no, Secret. No, Victoria's Secret, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. So yeah, we fun. got uh, 300,000 pounds of it to mm-hmm. Fresno. We also sold a couple of containers of things that we didn't want to other people. Okay. And then we had to get everything out of that building. So Ross went back out there. I went out there. How many times did we go out there? Five, six times. But the crazy Why part is the humidity and the, the heat. Lamp, the lamp. The lamp I'm going to get to that and you could talk about it, <sighs> but the humidity and the heat, we were losing eight to 10 pounds a day mm-hmm. and just drinking and drinking, not even having to go to the restroom. It was that bad. People in Midwest get it. They understand it, but it, but that, it's a rush of work. And then the prospect of like, what are you going to find? Cause we were just staging and trying to get trucks there. We had a nightmare trying to get trucks there. You have to take these freight elevators Mm -hmm. because there's no loading. We're on the fourth floor or fifth floor. I forgot. Fifth. 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 And so you have to put them in freight elevators, Mm -hmm. bring them down, stage it down below, do that. But yet make sure that there's trucks because, I mean, do you remember all the other stuff in that warehouse? That's when. It was unbelievable. The cars. People would park their cars there in St. Louis. And most of the people that parked their cars there were probably in the pharmaceutical industry with 26-inch rims. And like they were keeping their cars there so they wouldn't get thrashed. Oh. Like lifted cars, you name it. They would park them there so they'd be safe. In the building? In the building. That's a huge fire hazard. No, that's what, there was like hundreds of cars in there. Oh. That was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Collectible cars. I mean, cars like old Bentleys from the 30s and 40s. It was unreal what was in there. Wow. So now what did, she wants to know what we did with the rest. Where did it go from that building? Because we had to get it out because the people sold the building and they wanted to get it out. So tell her. You talking about the seven hundred thousand pounds? Yeah. What did? Well, it wasn't that seven we didn't take? that we didn't take. Yeah. No, we left it for them because they were going to give it to all the um, charities and uh, oh my god, their stores <laughs> and all that. No, I'm talking about once you moved it over to the Lamp Brewery. Oh, the Lamp Brewery. Yeah. Oh, it's the so haunted place, right? The Lamp Brewery. I go there and I'm by myself. And they said, you can just go in there and you can start sorting some of the items. And at the time, I was going through Nike windbreaker bale, a thousand pound bale of nothing but 80s and older Nike windbreakers. It was unbelievable. So I'm going through this thing and it's probably about 11 o'clock at night. I have a light on and everywhere else is dark. And I keep hearing the craziest noises you've ever heard. Like a cat, walking sounds. There was multiple levels that you had to take stairs. So I get bored. I take my flashlight. I walk up the stairs. And I come up in another floor. And this floor, the way they did storage back then, there's no fences between any of the people's items. So it's just boxes of random things. And I'm, as I'm going through, and I'm like, there's an old photo album from like the 1800s. Oh, and just, God. I was like, wow, this place is 
like a museum. Yeah. So I go back down. I probably work till four o'clock in the morning. I go back, don't think anything of it. I'm back in LA two weeks later and I'm watching America's Most Haunted. <laughs> and the building I was in was number three. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that sounds like some weird energy At in there. At that point, that's when all the hairs on my hands just went straight up. Yeah. It's crazy to think how much stuff of that stuff we left back there. I have I have 20 bales of it here still. Unbelievable. Yeah, the base I have the cashmere, long cashmere coat bales. Ugh. The baseball. Those are probably toast. Oh, no now. way. Those no. are good time. It's, good time for those right now. Yep. We have baseball pants. Mhm. And then uh the tropical jackets. Do you remember those? Like the lightweight uh, blazers. And then there's another. Ca- oh, trench coats. Still have a few trench coat bales. It's crazy. It was unbelievable what came out of there. Yeah. That was definitely a good way to word it as blessing, you know. Yeah, it really was. The timing was perfect. So the way that deal happened is we gave the person who gave us the opportunity to go out there. Do you want to be a partner with it? And he refused to be a partner. He said it was too much. Didn't want to deal with it. So we're like, okay. No, we're, we're, remember what he, the main reason why he didn't want to be a partner? Daisy Dukes, Rafi. Yep. He said, I don't want anything to do with Daisy Dukes. I haven't sold a Daisy Dukes short in 10 years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then guess what became the hottest item for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Still going. Those cut off shorts. Cut off shorts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But we gave and him. We only had 100,000 pounds of them. Yeah. We gave him a commission, finder's fee, which made him happy. Yep. Well, do you have anything you'd like to add in closing? Any last thoughts? I do. I do. I just want to say, Bridget, thank you so much for. Uh, creating this blog and one of the main reasons why is because you gave us all a memory of my dad that I'll always treasure. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. That's my favorite podcast. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good yeah, I one. I listen to it with the kids all the time and you just, I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to have helped with that. So Art, do you have anything you want to add in closing? No, uh, just other than just stay positive. Don't listen to all the news out there. Uh, do your thing. And if you ever need to get motivated, you know where to do. Just watch one episode of Chappelle. It'll make you laugh. And it'll make you realize everything is silly. And you just do your thing and stay positive. All right, my friends. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy, be kind. And don't be basic. Don't be basic. Bye. Bye, Ralph. Drive safe. Bye. Bye. Thanks.